1: Thank you for listening to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. Make sure to look out for new episodes every Thursday and Grand Prix Sundays. Hello and a very warm welcome to the Late Breaking F1 podcast. It's a good thing we have a week off because I'm not quite sure my heart could deal with the excitement of Monaco all over again this weekend. Um, (laughs) But we've still got, we're still here with a podcast, so, so all is good. Um... To be honest, I'm just trying to make sure that we get through the podcast without being interrupted by Lance Stroll. Um, we know we know how that how prominent that is in key moments, though. Just hoping we get through the entire hour today without that happening to us. Um, my name is Ben Hocking, Harry Eads here, of course. Uh, and Sam Sage, after a podcast absence for the Monaco Review, you're back. Good, good to see you, buddy.
2: Cheers. Thanks for letting me have the weekend off. It was my mum's 50th birthday. She was quite appreciative. Um, full-time listener is my mum. So she said, lucky you're uploading that podcast late. Otherwise, I got found out. She had nothing like that. She's not really that old at all. But <laughs> it's good to be back. Also, I didn't miss a lot, didn't I, folks? Um, the Monaco Grand Prix proving there why I'm right in all things Monaco related. And you're all wrong. So good to be back. Cheers.
0: Um, Sam, you said it was your mum's 50th birthday. But I think the listeners all would agree with us that actually... You were deb- debuting uh, as ATV director in Monaco last weekend.
2: <laughs> Don't tell them my secret job. Yes, it was me. I was the one on the camera that suddenly swapped it over to Brad to Lance Stroll, where we missed the only piece of on-track action for the entire race. So, um, sorry, that's my bad. And
1: if you have anything to say about that, you can get in touch via complaints at latebreaking.com. Moving on, uh, coming up on today's show, should F1 go ahead with a qualifying rule, which would essentially have stopped Charles Leclerc from getting pole position at the weekend? Should a red flag coming out... Uh, delete times. Uh, we'll be discussing that one later on. We'll also be also be discussing Esteban Ocon's season so far, and what that might mean for the Alpine Academy drivers that are waiting in the wings in Formula 2. And F1 higher and lower comes back, but with a small twist. But before we get Ooh. to all of that, I know, it, it really isn't that exciting. I, I've bigged that up ah. way too much. <laughs> I'd, I'd stick around for it, but But maybe don't expect it to be a drastic change that will change your lives. Um, Anyway, we're going to start with Sebastian Vettel. Say that then. Um,
2: Why would you say... No, no. Tell them it's going to change their lives, please. So then they stick around to the end.
1: Fine. All right. It will change your lives. And then when it doesn't, you can complain by going to complaints at (laughs) latebreaking.com and it will filter in with all the rest of them. But we are going to start... For real this time with Sebastian Vettel. Um, He had P5 at the Monaco Grand Prix. So his 10 points were the first that he's had this season. First, of course, for Aston Martin. And it now means he's actually ahead of Lance Stroll by one point. So Sam, Vettel's come under fire quite a bit this season. And to be honest, the last few seasons. Do you think that is justified? And do you think he actually gets the respect that he deserves?
2: Sebastian Vettel in the short term has not been the driver that he once was. I'll give you that. Um, he's been beaten by Charles Leclerc, who has proven to be one of the best up-and-comers in a long time. Probably since, I think, maybe Lewis Hamilton debuted at the front of the sport, I would go as far as to say. Uh, Leclerc is possibly of that making. Um, Vettel, let's, let's, let's retrace Vettel here because I'm not gonna any names. But there's been some drama over on the Twitter sphere from a few Formula One influencers that have said that Sebastian Vettel is the most overrated F1 driver. Right, Let that that's sinking. Yeah, he's he's one. If, if you're new to Formula One, he's a four-time world champion. Um, so, Toro Rosso, uh, well, when it BMW, wasn't really there. Toro Rosso, first ever winner for Toro Rosso, pretty good, right? If you haven't seen that race, go watch the wet race in Monza. It's a cracker. Uh, and then gets promoted to Red Bull. First ever winner for Red Bull as well. Uh, and then a four-time world champion while staying up against Fernando Alonso, Lewis Hamilton, Jenson Button, just to name a few. Just a few. You know, does pretty well there. Then goes to Ferrari, also known as one of the most difficult places in Formula 1 to have success at the moment. He is the third highest race winner for the Tofosi, behind Nicky Lauda and Michael Schumacher realistically two more races he'd be second the guy can pull out an absolute performance if he wants to and if he's on the ball also he's the only man that's really gone toe-to-toe with Lewis Hamilton other than Rosberg who's been in the same machinery and now Verstappen and you know yes he had some inconsistencies but it was also Ferrari who caused some problems there it wasn't just Vettel alone also he's got a teammate who was also a world champion Kimi Raikkonen who did nothing in that time period and now he's at Aston Martin. There's a blinding strategy call. He drove a brilliant race. Qualifying was really, really good. It takes a bit of time to get your head straight. Sebastian Vettel does not get the credit that he deserves long-term. Just because he's not carried on the same tra- tra- trajectory, words are hard, folks, that Lewis Hamilton has been on, where he improves every single season. No one does that. No F1 driver gets to the age of Lewis Hamilton. other under Lewis Hamilton and keeps getting better. Sebastian Vettel is going to have a plateau. He's having that. But he's still having a great time at the moment. Aston Martin's now a heck of his teammate. He drove brilliantly. It's improving. I reckon by race 11 or 12, we consistently see Vettel beating Stroll. He doesn't get the respect that he deserves. I would go as far as to say he's a top 10, top 15 driver of all time. If you look at his history, he's had some real crackers. Um, and two of those seasons that he won the championship, he had to scrap for right until the very end of the season. Go to your history before you start putting absolute disrespect on my 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 main man, semi-vet, because I won't stand for it.
1: I want to pick up on something you just said there before going to Harry. You said that he is a top 10 or a top 15 driver of all time. If we're looking at championships and championships only, it's only Fangio, Hamilton and Schumacher that have won more than him. So only three drivers. And of course, Prost is level with him on four. So the champ- So using those, he's a top five driver. Does only calling him a top 15 driver, say, disrespect him at all? Or is does his championships not marry up to what a good driver he is?
2: I think that people often forget in the previous years when Vettel first went to, to Red Bull when he had that challenge, just how difficult a couple of those seasons were. Um, and I have explained already, you know, the, the, the drivers he was going up against, the drivers he was having to fight tooth and nail against, especially two of those years, one of those years, folks, we had seven different winners in the first seven races, and he still came out as champion. The guy is able to pull out a performance. Now, I think it's actually more the times have changed. And so drivers like uh, Clark, drivers like Sirties, who regularly get elevated up the uh, the top 10 conversation, came from different times. You had shorter to, shorter careers, Drivers, unfortunately, died. You know, that is a thing that happened a lot. Previously in Formula 1, again, if you've got Ofei with the history of F1, it happened a lot. It was a regular thing. Uh, Careers were cut short. Drivers tried their hands at different categories way more often. Cersei's and Clark being two candidates for that as well. Vettel, I think, regularly gets to stake his name in that top 10. I don't always think that championships are always the first thing you should gauge things by. Senna's only got three. But people regularly say that Senna are their best driver of all time. Again, his career was unfortunately cut short. We know that. So I don't think championships are a de- definite on where you get to stand in a top 10, top 15 conversation. But if you're not considering Sebastian Vettel in your top 10, top 15, I, th- I think you need to do some more research in Formula 1 because the man in his heyday was absolutely awesome. And I don't think you understand just how much you have to do as a world champion to be the level that Sebastian Vettel was.
1: And the immortal question, is he better than Ricardo Rosset? I... <laughs> absolutely not. Could go either way, really, I...
2: I mean Ricardo Rossi it gets to be on a gets to be on a separate list Ricardo oh, not get including any list because no, no. it would be unfair.
1: That's perfectly understandable. Perfectly understandable. Um Harry what's your view on this do you think that Vettel considering the success he's had does he get the respect that he deserves from
0: the F1 community as a whole? I think um and Sam made this point already. I think we he, he falls he foul of being compared to Hamilton quite often. Um which almost isn't fair because we, we know how good Hamilton is. um, And he, you know, Vettel is not on the level of Lewis Hamilton. I think we can all, all pretty uh, uh, much agree on that one. Um, So I think that's an unfair comparison. He did go toe-to-toe with Hamilton. He didn't win on any of those occasions, but he still gave him a run for his money. And as Sam said, he still has four World Championships to his name. And it's only in the last couple of years... Last year and a half because i I would even argue his twenty nineteen season wasn't horrendous, yes it you know leclerc was you know clearly came in and was better than Seb ever thought he was going to be, but he still gave him a run for his money quite a lot of the time during the year in twenty nineteen it was only twenty twenty where it all kind of fell apart, and we can all you know make a case for why that happened. Um, So it's not been horrendous for Seb for that long. 2018, again, it's the Hamilton comparison. He lost out to Hamilton. He made mistakes, yes, but he was still winning races. He was still being a great driver. It was just he was up against a better one, but there aren't many above him that are better. So, um, yeah, I think that's hurt you know, in the eyes of the F1 community who are a fickle bunch. I think uh, we can agree on that. But, um, yeah, I think that's kind of hurt how people view him. And unfairly, I would say. I don't think that's fair. I think you can't just judge him on the past year and a half. You can't judge his legacy on the past year and a half. So, um, yeah. And then going further back to his Red Bull days, people that say that he didn't deserve those titles. You know, he was lucky. He had the best car this argument comes around all the time with drivers came, came around with Schumacher came, It's around now with Hamilton as well. And it's rubbish. It's just, just the worst argument it doesn't work. So, um, yeah, it's, uh, it's, uh, it's, I find it strange when people say he's overrated. It genuinely, it does baffle me sometimes because we know how good a driver he is. And we, he's started to show some glimpses again. I think, as i said, it was re- a really good strategy call on Sunday in Monaco, but, Seb still had to absolutely nail the in-laps to to jump Hamilton and Gasly, and he did. It was by the finest of margins, but he still did it. So, um, yeah, I think he does get he doesn't get necessarily all the respect that he should do. And I th- and as I said, I think it is because of the last couple of years and the comparisons to Hamilton, but that's not you know it's not necessarily a fair comparison. So, um, yeah, we we love you, Seb. I think you've made mistakes, but I think you deserve more respect for what you've done.
1: I think the main problem here is that the i either side of whether Vettel is overrated or whether you love Sebastian Vettel uh, a lot of the time there are people on both sides that won't look at the entire picture those who love Sebastian Vettel will not consider the actions of the last few years and those who hate Sebastian Vettel will not go back far enough in time um, to consider the the great success that he had early in his career. And the, the truth is you need to look at all of it because we're, we're looking at his career as a whole. I don't necessarily think that, you know, analysing the last few years and criticising where necessary, I don't think that automatically means you aren't giving him the respect that he deserves it's just the case and that's the case for absolutely every driver as well it's not just vettel you know hamilton is one of the best of all time many would argue he is the best of all time that doesn't stop us from being um not even critical just just judging him um for his performances on merit each and every time he goes out on track that's what you do you get new information each time someone races so to go ahead and analyze that isn't an issue at all having said that there there are a lot of people yeah who who will just ignore the success that he had early in his career and say that he, maybe he's overrated or maybe they are just looking at the last couple of years and if you're to do that you are taking away a large portion of what has been an incredible career um, from someone as talented as Sebastian Vettel you've already gone through some of his career highlights Sam but I'll, I'll jump on the back of that because 2008 yeah he wins in a Toro Rosso and I I want to make the point here as well. He doesn't just win in the Tour Rosso because you know Pierre Gasly has technically done that as well when he won at Monza last year. And no disrespect to Pierre Gasly whatsoever, but he didn't win that race on pace, nor should he have expected to, based on him being in the you know fifth or sixth fastest car. It's not to besmirch his name whatsoever, but he won that race because of the way it fell into his lap. Sebastian Vettel won the 08 Italian Grand Prix on pace. He, he was the fastest guy out there. And he did an incredible job, and really all year, he he beat Bourdais, the the immortal Sebastian Bourdais, thirty five points to four, which you know that, that's that's pretty good going. And looking ahead, so two thousand and nine, he doesn't win the championship that year. Of course, that year it goes to Jensen Button at Braun, but he does hold Button quite cl- quite close. It was eleven points in it at the end of the season. Yet the first two races of that year, Button won both of them. And Vettel retired from both of them. So after two races, Button was 20 points ahead. So if you take out the first two races of 2009, Vettel actually has more points than Button that year. And it's also important to bear in mind that season as well. Button had a grand total of one DNF. Vettel had five. Vettel had more uh, DNFs than anyone else in the top 10 of the championship that year. He didn't have very good luck when it came to reliability. If he had, he might well have won that title. And then you look at his four-year stretch where he wins four consecutive championships. It's incredible to me that this gets just shoved under the rug as if it's nothing. He won four consecutive championships and it's a perfect mixture of how he won them. He won them firstly due to pure dominance in 2011 and 2013. I mean, he won the 2011 championship by 222 points. And then in 2013, that wasn't enough. So he won it by 255 <laughs> points. And then the other part of the mixture is he won the other two championships by performing in the clutchest moments. Just listen to this. So 2010, he becomes the youngest ever champion, obviously. Four races to go. He's 21 points behind Mark Webber and he's in fourth place. He ends up winning the championship. 2012, seven races to go he's 39 points behind Fernando Alonso and again he's fourth in the championship he needed to make it work in those in the dying embers of both of those seasons and he won both championships so for me his four year stretch is a perfect mixture of sheer dominance and performing when it matters most now what has happened since 2013 should not be ignored at all uh, but what he is what he did in that stretch is is mesmerizing really he was a four time champion at the age of 26, 26 years old, he was a four-time champion. Just to put that into some context, if we were only including championships won at the age of 26 or younger, Alan Prost, Ayrton Senna, Nelson Piquet, Nigel Mansell, Mika Hakkinen, Jackie Stewart, Jim Clark, they would all have no championships. <laughs> Lewis Hamilton would be a one-time champion and Michael Schumacher would be a grand total of a two-time champion. Vettel had four by the age of 26 which just goes to show how quickly he managed to adapt to the sport as a whole. As I said, the stuff since 2013 should absolutely not be ignored and they should be counted against his legacy somewhat where necessary. He lost to Daniel Ricciardo in Daniel Ricciardo's first season at Red Bull. He did the same thing with Charles Leclerc at Ferrari. It's a bit worrying that it happened twice. Basically the same situation both times. And yes, he lost out to Lewis Hamilton in 2018, largely due to errors of his own making. They should count against his legacy. But you have to go a long, long way before that outdoes winning four championships in a row by the age of 26.
2: Good debate. Bloody good debate that was. Enjoyed that.
1: So, uh, Seb Vettel for world champion next year? <laughs> for president.
2: <laughs> I'm keen. If it happens, I am, I'm so keen for a Seb Vettel fifth title. What a redemption arc that is. One One thing to
1: just Touch on before we go on to our next topic as well, Sebastian Vettel, how he has changed in the eyes of the the general. I know there are a section who think he's overrated, but he was the most hated man in F one at one point, <laughs> even ten years ago. Uh, and it's a complete transfer. Loads of people absolutely love the guy, including myself. Like, you know, there's seems it's, to be a massive transition.
0: Yeah, he he was he was. I think could be found to be quite oh, annoying you. at winning a lot of red bull i think the way his uh, his his finger waving i think got on a lot of people's <laughs> nerves did you hear him do that he did the ring ring da, da, ding ding ding
2: <laughs> yeah. Hello about the big wave the window said <laughs> ready ding 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 ding
1: Crazy Frog P5 at the Monaco Grand Prix. Who'd have thought it?
0: <laughs> All right, we're going to
1: move on uh, to Charles Leclerc. So he was set to start on pole position at Monaco despite crashing in the final moments of qualifying. So in IndyCar, there is a rule where drivers who bring out the red flag or in some circumstances bring out yellow flags, uh, they are penalised by having their lap times deleted. Michael Massey spoke after the race uh, and said that they will consider this rule and introducing
0: it into F1. So what do you think, Harry? Do you think this would, this would help? I, I don't think so. I don't feel like it's a situation we get into very often. And I, I I don't know how fair it is. I've seen I've seen IndyCar drivers, including Grosjean, who was now an IndyCar driver, saying it's a fair it's a fair um, situation. But um, yeah, I, I don't buy. I think it's quite we're in quite a, Saturday was quite a unique one as it is a Monaco in quali. It can happen, but that rule would really only apply to to Monaco qualifying or you know. Maybe Baku qualifying, but it's it's not often we get a red flag in the dying moments of a qualifying session. And if we looked back, it, the majority of them probably happened in Monaco. So um, yeah, it seems. Uh, I think it seems a little unfair. I don't. I don't. You know, it's just part of it. It's what happens. It's like if you get a yellow a yellow flag at the end of qualifying, like Bottas in Austria last year when he went to do some um, mowing. Um, you know well you can't penal unless they've done it deliberately, which in this case it's not just no, um, then I don't see why why you need to penalize them. They've they've not done it on purpose, it's an accident, it's part of the sport. Verstappen, signs, Bottas all should have got their quicker lap in on the first one. That's the point. Get your get your lap in quickly at the start and you won't have to worry about a red flag coming out. So um yeah, I don't I don't see I don't think we need that. I don't see why um, if it, as I said, I think it's quite a unique situation so um, it get, it's a big old no from me
1: Bit on the fence there from Harry as per usual, not quite sure what he thinks there. Um, Sam are you on board with, with what Harry said there? Is it a big fat no from you?
2: The issue with the whole red flag and qualifying, especially around Monaco, is of course we know that a certain man in red has previously done something similar and there are questions about legality and intention behind that remark, hasn't there? Don't
0: um, know what you're talking about, mate.
2: <laughs> no, Harry, of course, head of the Michael Schumacher fan club and head of the Jacques Villeneuve hate club, um, of course, would never declare that Schumacher maybe tapped a wheel into a- It's a good club. <laughs> never tapped a wheel into the wall uh, to maybe end a qualifying session. He's not the only man to have been questioned around it either. Of course, Nico Rosberg. Again, at Monaco rang it off into the uh, the parking zone off of one of the runoff areas. And of course, that ended qualifying. Um...
1: Brakes failed. Brakes failed, mate.
2: <laughs> As you can see, folks, I'm joined by the two most slanderous individuals in Formula One. And they will twist your melons <laughs> to get anything across. Uh, honestly, though, I do think that maybe something does need to change. Um, <laughs> I do think that maybe there needs to be an adaptation of rules here i don't think it should be a your lap gets deleted if you bring out the red flag but i do think there needs to almost be a recap of time lost i do think there needs to be a, a reversal of kind of get yourselves back on the track of where you were the time that was remaining before the yellow or red flag comes out because mainly for entertainment purposes i don't want qualifying ruined by yellow or red flag i don't want my whole Saturday that i look forward to scrapped with two minutes ago because someone's putting it in a wall and that's game over yes okay Get your lap in early. I do agree with that sentiment. You should be putting your foot down. But that's the whole point of having a 12-minute qualifying session. We know it ramps up towards the end. Qualifying is exciting. I don't like that being taken away from me. So I think that there needs to be more wiggle room to have sessions rebalanced or retimed a little bit after an incident happens. If there are people in the wrong laps or capable of starting laps. Even if they get to do a one-shot, one-lap qualifying once the track's been cleared. You get one go and that's it. And if you screw it up, you screw it up. That could be fun. But um, do I think that you should get your lap eliminated if you get red flagged? No, I don't. I do think that, honestly, 99.9% of the time, it's an honest mistake that people make once a year at a track such as Monaco. End of conversation.
1: So um, you won't be able to see this on on the camera, but I have a notepad here. I've got a fair few notes, depending on what topic we're doing. Um, And my notes for this topic, I have literally got one line, and it just says, nah. That's my view on it. (laughs) Don't don't bother with it. For the reasons that these two gave. really, it's not something that happens very often. You would also then be stuck in a situation where what red flags or, you know, double wave yellows, if you want to include that as well, um, how, how do you police it? So is it just when a driver makes an error or is it for any sort of red flag? Because... For all you know, we we obviously know that Charles Leclerc made a mistake going into the, the swimming pool section. He he had a crash, that's all fine. What if it is later revealed actually it was the brakes that failed? should the driver still be penalized by having their previous lap time deleted because some they you know a crash happened that wasn't their fault you know that sort of a question arises um, and overall I actually think Max Verstappen put this quite well because it would have been a very easy opportunity and Max was quite not angry but I think he was frustrated when it happened and naturally so he was on what he believed to be a pole uh, obtaining lap but I think he put this quite well afterwards that they are they are all going for it they're all going for it a hundred percent on those final runs and sometimes that happens and and so it is and you and you just get on with it with in the knowledge that this will occasionally happen and I'm okay with that um so I don't think this needs to change. I would keep, I'd keep it exactly the same, really. I don't, I don't think it needs to change at all. But I do want to go back to something that Sam actually raised about whether we could um, alter the rules slightly in a different way. So, um, I think, I think there's a there's a point in that where you know a couple of drivers did have their uh, did have their laps ruined. Um, but also from a from a spectator's perspective as well we were due a really thrilling last minute or two of monaco qualifying which we ended up not having i, I want to you know, put this over to you harry what do you think of this idea and it's related to what sam said what if if there is a red flag after 2 minutes is left in the session or or under that amount less you know a minute and a half minute and a and a red flag comes out the clock is reset to two minutes, and that stays at two minutes until the first driver crosses the crosses the line to start their lap. So that's when the countdown resumes. Therefore, you're essentially giving everyone the opportunity to go out for one more lap. Obviously it is, you know, dependent on if F two or F three is following on, but what's your thoughts
0: on that, Harry? Do you think that could work? I am less offended by that than the than the than the penalty idea. To be honest, um, I I don't necessarily see. It. I'm sure there are complications that would arise around it. But I, if we, you know, from a, a spectator point of view, and Sam made a good point about this, you know, we we were denied a good end of quality there. Um, yeah, I can see why why that would be a sensible idea, and. Yeah, I mean it wouldn't eat into too much time. We, you know, sometimes we have red flags for like an hour, and you know, other, other Formula make way for F1 uh, most you know, most likely. So um, yeah, I, I'd be okay with that if it meant that we could. I don't know. Again, how would it be like? Say they've all used <laughs> their last set of tires for most of the lap, and then they've got to go out again. I guess they have to stay on that tire. I don't know, but in theory, I'm I'm okay with that idea.
1: Sam, I know you sort of raised a, uh, a similar concept in your in your first uh, go-round at this, but do you think that that sort of an idea would work? Any objections?
2: You've done a classic Bennerism there. You've taken Sam's ridiculous idea and you filter filtered it through <laughs> to be one that's actually usable for the real world is what you've done. And this is why we work so well as a trio, you know. I'm the foghorn. Beng is for sale. It's Cid, what we do. It's it what we it's do. Nicely, it's nicely tipping it out for each person to go, hey, just digest some of that. how do you like that? Um, so, yeah, I'm all for it. I also think you can introduce something along the lines of the track would have to be cleared of the red flag within, say, 15 minutes of the red flag coming out. Otherwise, again, you end up delaying everything for too long. It gets a little bit dull. So there's have to be other implications given. It would have to be, and you're right, I think the same tyres would have to stay on the car, but we're getting into semantics here. We're getting into too many levels of details, but I would like the ability to see the rest of qualifying play out. If you've made a mistake, you should have to pay a price for that. You might not come off pole. Everyone might qualify slower than you, but I do think that there needs to be the option for everyone to put their lap into place with the allotted time given in a race the time stops in qualifying the time stops we should be able to consume the rest of that time with green flag running
1: and I mean if we were stuck for a title of the podcast this time out we do have it now which is the foghorn the sieve and the distributor so <laughs> we are we are all good on that front it's good to thank be back. you Sam it's thank good you to be Sam back. indeed <laughs> we we really missed it. I mean, we would not have come up with that ourselves. Put it that way. Like, it wasn't going to happen.
2: Uh, folks, I'll, uh, I'll leave this segment with a, a small expression. Um, it's going to be hashtag tumble Drive mystery.
1: <laughs> Wouldn't expect anything else from this. Wouldn't expect anything else. Um, we'll move on to... Esteban Ocon, Um, he started the season in a fairly good way. Uh, That's my opinion, my slightly different opinion, but I think he started out well. Um, And he is currently leading his world champion teammate in Fernando Alonso. Um, so with his performances, plus Alonso's security for next year, uh, we want to take a look at the Alpine Academy because they've got quite a few drivers in F2 at the moment who are performing rather well. So Guan Yu Zhou is leading the championship after two yeah. rounds or six races, depending on how you look at it. Uh, and Oscar Piastri is in second. And Christian Lungard is another member who is down in 12th, but I think he's arguably far more talented than that 12th place uh, lead's us to believe. So, um Sam, what do what do Alpine do here? They've got a uh, a lot of junior drivers that they want to come through, and no junior team to work with.
2: Getting get another team—that's end the conversation. Uh Seriously though, if they did decide to bring another team, all right, I'd be all up for it. We'll have a Renault junior team in F one, bit like what Red Bull team. Sorry, I keep calling them Renault. They are Alpine, but they are Renault. We all know they are. Uh, call it Renault. Bring it, bring the Renault team back as a junior Benetton. team. That'll be her. Benetton. Benetton works. Uh, you know. Uh, British Home Stores is another one that could be good. Uh, other suggestions, <laughs> let us know on Twitter. Um, seriously, though, the the, the the person we should be looking at in this scenario is not Esteban Ocon. Esteban Ocon has been brilliant this season. He's flown under the radar. I think he's one of the most underrated drivers <laughs> on the grid in this 2021 season. We should be looking at his two-time world champion, Fernando Alonso. Oh, God, do I love Fernando. Oh, what a spicy, lovely man he is. He can wink at me in a deck chair all day long while I do the two-time <laughs> World Cup dance in front of him. Yes, please, thank you very much. But fancy little dances and deck chairs while winking do not make a good season. No, they don't. And Fernando Alonso has not performed up to standard that his teammate is performing at. He's not been bad, but after 23 seasons, I do think this should be re-evaluated. And whether that man should carry on in that seat just because he's Fernando Alonso is not a given. Those young drivers have been bloody brilliant so far, and they deserve a look-in. Just because Fernando Alonso's got the name, Fernando Alonso, and the history he comes with does not mean he's delivering the standard that we expect from him. And if he can't deliver that over the course of a full season anymore, and that is proven by the gap between Ocon and Alonso, let's say in another 15, 16 races time, then the person winning the F2 Championship, if it is still one of their drivers, should get a shot at a seat. They should be given the chance. Um, and it frustrates me how hard it is for some of these drivers to go from F2 to F1. It's a figure series for a reason, and yet so many drivers don't get the chance. Callum Mylott being one of them, the man that really should be having a seat over a certain somewhere else in the grid. So, yeah, if Ocon continues to underperform, uh, overperform, sorry, and Alonso continues to underperform, I don't see why it shouldn't be Alonso that gets swapped out, and you can say goodbye to Alonso in Formula 1. Currently, he's not been up to the same standard.
1: What do you reckon, Harry? Do you think this uh, this might become a problem for, for Alpine?
0: It already is a problem for Alpine. There's no chance that they're going to drop Fernando Alonso, even if he has the worst season. If it carries on like this and gets even worse, it's not going to happen. Don't see it happening. Um, and But the, their problem is that they signed him in the, in the first place. And, you know, at the end of last year, you would have said, Alonso's going to start beating Ocon straight away. That's not happened. Ocon has absolutely stepped up and he needed to, I think, because otherwise he'd be easily out of the seat by the end of this year. And now they giving themselves a headache because by, by signing Fernando Alonso and keeping Ocon on, now they've, now they've like blocked up their seats because if Ocon's performing, they can't get rid of him. They're not going to get rid of Alonso. This is a very short term problem because Alonso is not sticking around for long. But even for next year, it's a, it's an issue. Um, so yeah, they they they've really boxed themselves in by signing Fernando last year when they probably should have signed a younger driver, either in place of Ocon, although now that would seem like a, uh, a mistake. So I'm glad they didn't. Or in that empty Renault seat, um, yeah, who to blame on that one? Cyril, he's gone, so it doesn't matter. Um, yeah, it's 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 a it's a, it's, a, it's an issue for. Uh, it's an issue for the Alpine guys, especially as Sam says. If you know Joe uh wins the title um, this year in F two, so uh, it's a head scratcher. It's a head scratcher for Alpine.
1: I mean, to to look at the the pair of them, I'll, I'll take Fernando Alonso first of all. Um, firstly, yeah, he hasn't he hasn't had a great season to this point. I I feel like there should be a bit of leeway there because we are we are showing leeway for the likes of Daniel Ricardo and Sebastian Vettel who are coming into new teams and having a bit of difficulty adjusting. Um Alonso is is not only going from a new team he he's he hasn't raced in formula 1 for a couple of years so uh, I do think that we we owe him at least uh, some more races this season for him to get back up to speed. Maybe this is it. Maybe Ocon is going to outperform him for the rest of this year, but I'd like to see a few more races until I definitively believe that to be the case. Um, and I think you're, you're right in what you say. I don't think Alpine are going to get rid of him and I don't think Alonso would allow them to get rid of him. So I think he will be there for the rest of this year and next year as well. Uh, and I don't think his seat would be up for grabs um, until the following year. Uh, and who knows, he might sign another contract. Not sure. To look at Esteban Ocon, I I genuinely believe with the exception of Lando Norris, Charles Leclerc, Lewis Hamilton and Max Verstappen, there has not been a better driver this season than Esteban Ocon. I think he's been quality all year Um, and he has stepped up. You know, we all said at the beginning of this year, this is a big year for Esteban Ocon. He, He struggled a bit last year against Daniel Ricciardo after having been out of the sport for a year. Now he has to go up against a, another driver who is high caliber, this time not a, even just a well-respected driver, this time a world champion driver. And the onus is on him to prove himself as the established name within the team. To this point, he's done it. So fair play to him. Not an easy job. He's adjusted well to this point. I think when you're looking at the the junior drivers that Alpine have, you're, you're essentially asking you're asking a few questions. You're asking, first of all, has Ocon reached his, his max potential? Is, is the Ocon that is driving around now the best Ocon we will see in F1? Or does he have room to grow? And if he does have room to grow, how much better will he be compared to what he is right now? You answer those questions, then you look at the junior drivers and you say, okay, where are they at right now? And perhaps more importantly, what's the potential of these guys? And you have to answer the question, do Lungard Zhou or, or Piastri have more potential than what Ocon is showing right now? It's a tough one. Uh, it's always difficult to judge. And it would be a gamble if they picked up any of those three rookies uh, and put them in over Esteban Ocon, considering how well Ocon is doing this year so far. Guan Yu Zhou, I think, you know, he's leading the championship. I think right now he's probably the best of the three. At the same time, I think he probably has the lowest ceiling. So I I don't personally I I don't think that they should look to replace Ocon with Joe. I think Joe would do fine in F one. I think he'd he'd do a good enough job, but I don't think he'd be better than what Ocon is. The other two is a bit of a bit more of a question mark. Lungard is still only nineteen years of age. He could maybe have a third season in F two. I I think Lundgaard in terms of raw potential has more than Ocon, only just but a bit more. But I I think he's a bit unrefined at the moment, uh, and I mean that in the, the nicest way possible because he has got extreme speed. This guy, I, I just think his overall race craftsmanship just needs a bit of work before he's ready for Formula One. And then Oscar Piastri, he could be the best of the bunch. He you know he has seriously impressed one one F three at the first time of asking, and he's second place in F two at the first time of asking. Bear in mind, the last two drivers that were able to win F3 and F2 at the first time of asking in consecutive years, George Russell and Charles Leclerc, they're looking pretty good right now. So if Oscar Piastri does the same thing, it's very hard to to not promote him to Formula One. We'll see how that goes. But essentially, yeah, they just need to ask the question, where do they think Ocon is now? Can he improve? And where does the potential of these rookies stack up? I, I, I don't think Jo does quite stack up. Is uh, despite me thinking that he is actually the best of the three at the moment, um, Lundgaard and Piastri slightly bigger question marks. There, tough one though. If they had a junior team, this would be a this would be a much easier thing to manage. Bear in mind, Ferrari had this very similar situation last year with eiler and Schwarzman and and Schumacher. And even with the resources of potentially Alfa Romeo and definitely Haas, two, dri- two teams they could potentially rely on to get drivers into seats, Callum Milet still couldn't get a seat. So how is it going to fare with Alpine, who don't have that option? Tough to see a way out. All right, let's, let's move on to, uh, well, we'll call it F1 higher and lower, but like Valtteri Bottas, it's levelling up. To version 2.0 do we get a new theme song for it that's the
0: question depends how good the idea is
2: oh yeah let's hear the idea first before I'm talking about a new theme song I've got to come up with these on the spot you know?
1: <laughs> yeah fair <laughs> enough no that, that's perfectly acceptable um yeah, to, to, to go back to what I said in the beginning instance, it is a slightly different version of F1 higher or lower, but it really isn't that much of an upgrade. Shh. <laughs> is F1 higher?
2: Is F1 lower? Is Sam faster? Is Harry slower? F1 higher? F1 lower? F1
1: So in this instance, um, I have got sort of 10 things uh, right here on the page. So so race wins, podiums, stuff like that. Uh, And I'll give you the category uh, and you'll take it in turns to have a guess. So, um, you know, it might be Lewis Hamilton wins and Sam, I say it's your turn. You will say, hmm, I don't know. How many wins does Lewis Hamilton have? Hmm, maybe six um you'll probably have a better guess than that but for the purposes (laughs) of the example he has six harry it's then your job to say higher or lower than sam's guess is it higher than six or lower than six uh and then if you're right on that you win the point if you're wrong sam wins the point
2: Ooh, i'm i am willing to make up a new theme song for this
1: (laughs) wow big words all right who wants to who wants to go and and guess first i will go first please all right okay so the first one there are 10 overall first one sam how many race wins did nigel mansell take
2: And and i i just have to guess can i be right or wrong here
1: you can't be right or wrong. You basically just set the benchmark for how easy or difficult it is for Harry to get a point. So if you were to guess like zero, it makes it very easy for Harry to win. But if you're close or dead on, then I'll let you know if you're dead on and you you can you can get your point here and there. But yeah,
2: I'm okay. I'm gonna I'm gonna take a punt then. Uh, and I obviously want to make it hard for Harry because I want to win. Exactly. Uh, I'm gonna say Nigel Mansell won. uh, 29, 29 times.
1: All right, Sam saying that Nigel Mansell won 29 times. Uh, It isn't spot on. So Harry, did he have more or fewer than that? Higher or lower? I'm going to go higher, Ben. You are right in saying higher. He had 31 race wins. So Harry takes the first point we now go to Harry to guess this one. So, Harry, can you tell me how many race starts does Carlos Sainz have as of the Monaco Grand
0: Prix? Oh, that's tricky. Okay. I'm going to say Carlos. This is one of those he's been around for that long. It's... uh... Yeah, tricky. I was gonna say Carlos Sainz has one hundred and eleven starts. It's a nice uh nice number, one one one. Uh it's not dead
1: on, so Sam. Higher or lower?
2: Uh, again, I'm, I'm glad that Harry got asked this one because I've been trying to work it through in my mind how many seasons he's been here, what season he's started, how many races we had in that. It's confusing because it's not like the old days where you had almost like the same amount. 23, 17, 412. The races are over the place at this point. So I am going to say that Sykes actually is a bit more <laughs> of a veteran than we expected and I'm going to take a punt at higher. More race starts than what Harry said. It's
1: correct. It is higher. Uh, It was a a pretty good guess, 111, but it's 123 for Carlos Sainz. Which means we are now at one all. Sam, can you tell me how many races has Spa Francochamp held in F1?
2: For a while. Uh, Are we including Classic... As well as st- like the common.
1: Including classic, yeah.
2: How many have been around? Um, oh, I'm gonna go with how many years of formula long we've had? Seventy two? Something like
0: that? I'm Se- gonna go with it was seventy last year.
2: Shut up. Um <laughs> <laughs> Uh, it's been around a while. I'm going to go with sixty-two. Sixty-two, Harry.
1: Higher or lower? It's not spot on. I'm going to go lower. You are correct in saying lower. Fifty-three overall for Spa.
2: Oh, these are all close.
1: Yeah, you. Some good guesses you're coming up with. Um, so we go to Harry for this one to guess. Um, I think your favourite driver after Jacques Villeneuve, Eddie Irvine. Oh, God. How many podiums did Eddie Irvine have in his career? Too
0: many. <laughs>
1: <laughs> right, he's got it spot on, I'm afraid, sir. Never
0: mind. I'll go for um,
1: 11. 11 podiums. Are You just obsessed with the number one today, aren't you, Harry? That's it. <laughs> worked it out. Um eleven. Higher or lower, Sam.
2: Well, when Eddie held me in his arms and whispered he whispered something in my <laughs> ear and what he whispered to me was actually how many podiums he, he's had in Formula One. So I'm gonna say it was higher, more than eleven.
1: I mean, we we opened up the podcast by asking, does Sebastian Vettel get the respect he deserves? Apparently, Eddie Irvine doesn't get the respect he deserves because it is higher. He had 26, <laughs> Harry. He had way more than 11. Have a day off.
0: Uh,
1: too many. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, um, two all after four. Number five coming up for you, Sam. How many pole positions did Ralph Schumacher take in his career?
2: Oh, Ralphie Malfie. Um I'm going to say... Definitely sail. too many. Uh, no, not enough. Not enough. Uh, I'm going to go for... seven.
1: It's not spot on. Did he have more than seven or less than seven, Harry?
0: Uh, I'm going to go for lower. It's
1: just lower, six. Oh. <laughs> Very nearly spot on Damn. from Sam there. A good effort. Um, we're, we're bringing out all of the best drivers today, so we might as well carry that on. Harry, your one is to do with Yano Trulli. Choo-choo, all aboard. How many race starts <laughs> did he
0: have in F1? Oh, blimey. 234. <laughs> 234
1: is the guess. Sam, higher or lower?
2: He was around a long time. Was old Yarno? Um, he was around for a few years. Yeah, just a couple. He's got a lot of carriages on that wagon on that old steam locomotive <laughs> of his. Um, on the Truly train, oh, <laughs> I'm gonna. I think Harry's been pretty close for that guess because I was thinking kind of low 200. i hundreds. I'm. I'm gonna. I'm gonna take a punt with higher. Come on, Yarno.
1: It's uh it's a good punt. It's uh, it was a good guess from you, Harry. Two thirty-four wasn't a mile out. Two fifty-two <laughs> is the correct one there. Sam, over to you for this one. How many race wins has yeah. Williams taken?
2: Uh it's a shame it wasn't 750, really, wasn't it? Um... It it's
1: I'll give you a clue. It's <laughs> lower than that.
2: Ah Uh I, uh, okay. I can't give anything away to Harry I am going to say something then but i giving something away because I, I know a definite about this um, I think 108
1: 108 race wins, higher or lower for Williams as a constructor Harry, it's uh, it's not dead on
0: uh, I don't actually know
1: lower. it's not lower uh, it's uh, it was a very good guess again. Actually, it's 114. Ooh. So Sam takes the lead. He uh, he's up Ooh. four points to three. Harry, this is number eight of ten. Mika Hakkinen. How many race victories did he have?
0: Um, a flying fin. He had. 22 victories.
1: Ooh, 22. Higher or lower, Sam?
0: Um,
2: the guesses I feel like I've been really good. I feel like we're better at guessing close to an answer than we are ever getting an answer actually right. Uh, which is classic late-breaking, really. Enter us into a quiz where the rules are you have to guess as close as possible to the answer without getting the answer. Uh, I think... Because of the fact he wasn't actually falling for as long as people think, he retired. Well, he's on sabbatical. He is I'm going to say it was lower.
1: Yeah, I should point out that this is as of the Monaco Grand Prix. He might be adding to this tally as we speak, but um, it is lower. It's only just lower. It was uh, 20 overall. So a good guess from Harry again, but Ooh. Sam gets oh, the point.
2: Harry, you must know that one internally. You that was so close. Just
1: Mika Hakkinen. Who doesn't? He uh, beat the Michael the 20 one. times, so <laughs> fair play to him. Uh, two to go. Sam has a 5-3 lead, so one of these last two points, Sam, and you win overall. Giancarlo Fisichella. How many podiums did he have, Sam?
2: Uh, I'm going to go with... Now, Fisichella, apart from defending thin air, is not something I know actually too much about. The, uh, the lovely man. Um, I don't. I don't think he ever did that well in Formula One. Considering the cars that he was so close to having, or he did achieve, I think uh, 14, 14 podiums.
1: Higher or lower than that, Harry? Uh, I'll go lower. Well, we asked the question at the beginning of the show: <laughs> Does Sebastian Vettel get the respect he deserves? We then ask the question: <laughs> Does Eddie Irvine get the respect he deserves? When the real answer is Giancarlo Fisicella doesn't get the respect he deserves. He has nineteen podiums. He doesn't have oh. lower than fourteen. Harry. Oh dear. So Sorry, it does mean. Giancarlo. It does mean that Sam claims the overall win, uh, six points to three. But we do still have one more to go. Um, so Harry, this last one is on you. Can you tell me the age? of the oldest driver to start an F1 race. That was their age when they started rather than their age now.
0: <laughs> <laughs> um, is it 47? Sam,
1: higher or lower than 47?
2: Now, I think, I, I don't know the days, but I actually think I know this stat. So I think it's higher. And I'm going to take a guess at being 55. I think it was Chiron, if I'm not wrong.
1: You are not wrong on any of those counts. Very well done. Uh, no, 1955. <laughs> the
2: one stat he knows.
1: 1955, at the age of 55, Louis Chiron at the Monaco Grand Prix. Uh, it's home Grand Prix as well. So, yes, well done, Sam. 7-3 win to you, sir.
2: Thank you. Hopefully, the Verstappen-Hamilton battle is as epic as that that quizzing was. Um. And hopefully you enjoyed the knowledge that we provided. you guessed as close as we did. Let us know if you guessed any closer, of course.
1: I'm, I'm guessing, Sam, that because you've won here, your opinion of this version of F1 higher or lower has, has gone up dramatically.
2: Uh, yeah, yeah. It'll be getting a whole production theme song. I will be working with Brian Tyler to make sure there's a full works put in place and uh, we'll get it debuted regularly, I think, to make sure we've got a real f1 higher is f1 lower is sad faster is harry slower f1 higher f1 lower
1: f1 well stick around for the next podcast because that one's gonna be fun um until then sam if you wouldn't mind getting us out of here
2: Folks, uh, it's been lovely to be back to be speaking to you again. We haven't got a race coming up, but do let us know what you think of asking, Vettel. Is he overrated? Is he underrated? Is that four-time world champ one of the best that there ever has been? There's some very controversial opinions floating around on the Twitter sphere and on the internet about that, gentleman. Let us know if you agree with them or not. We'd love to hear from you. Uh, does Akon get to stay? You know, should there be red flag deletion time for for podiums, whatnot, or for for qualifying? We'd love to hear all your thoughts. How did you do in the new format of F1, higher and lower? Stick around next week, where we will be previewing the Baku Grand Prix. And of course, we will be back for the race review as well, all happening next week, which will be Railway Keep. In the meantime, I have been Samuel Sage. I've
1: been Ben Hocking. And I've been Eddie Irvine. And remember, keep breaking late.
0: Sports Social Podcast Network.